0: Hi, everyone. I am Sean Duberbeck from Avrio Institute.
1: And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Tech Techspansive. Uh, this week, we saw a number of companies continuing to fight the battle around misinformation and disinformation. Both Twi- Twitter and Facebook have been active. And this has been really an ongoing story, though it feels to me like in the current pandemic environment, these companies are perhaps being a, a bit more aggressive at going after some of the uh, disinformation. They're being a, a little more aggressive, I think, in shutting down some of the groups. I saw that Facebook shut down some groups that were organizing rallies against stay-at-home orders. And the uh, rationale for that was that anything that goes against a, a state order of a, or a suggested shelter-in-place order uh, wasn't uh, welcome on on the platform, so you're seeing them get a little more aggressive with some of that information. Where, if you were to you know go back and wind the clock back, it seemed like they weren't taking very decisive measures with anti-vaxxer groups and other things like that, or at least early on. And now you see them uh, looking a little more aggressive.
1: Yeah, and as we were talking a little earlier. It's really interesting to look at this spectrum uh, that covers public health issues and political issues, and certainly Facebook, uh, much more so than Twitter, has taken historically a hardline stance against uh, banning certain kinds of messaging on its platform, uh, saying that it, it doesn't want to be in this arbiter role. But you kind of have to look at the stakes and say, if some propaganda uh, misinformation uh, convinces some people of, of something that may not be true, then perhaps you know uh, the the guy that you don't guy or, or woman that you don't want to see elected gets elected, right? But but if, if this kind of misinformation spreads, you know you you could uh, pe- people could die. Um, so, so it's far uh, easier to justify the case for clamping down on uh, on, on these kinds of controls. One of the uh, articles that that talked about Facebook's reaction here uh, is from a, a website here called The Markup, uh, which I was not familiar with. But their tagline is "Big Tech is watching you. We're watching Big Tech." So this uh, seems to be a um, online publication, themarkup.org, uh, focused on, uh, on on these companies, and uh, <laughs> they said that uh, Facebook was allowing advertisers to profit from ads targeting people that the company believes are interested in, quote, pseudoscience. So there was apparently a pseudos- an interest category of pseudoscience that contained more than 78 million people. Uh, and so I wonder a bit if uh, some of that was people who were just interested in pseudoscience as a social phenomenon. You know, I'm interested in studying pseudoscience and why people believe in pseudoscience. I'm not necessarily interested in consuming pseudoscience myself. Um, because if you believe in pseudoscience, you don't call it pseudoscience, you know. You you believe it's <laughs> yeah. the truth. Uh, so uh, anyway, that's uh, that's kind of a f- strange definition, but uh, but in any case, it, it seems like a positive move, um, even if the uh, the category may not be capturing everything that they're uh, exactly uh, looking looking for.
0: Yeah, and yesterday we saw that uh, TechCrunch was reporting that Twitter is removing and prioritizing the removal of covid-19 tweets that incite harmful activities mm. uh or or could lead to the destruction of for example 5G infrastructure right because of uh that uh misinformation that's driving people to to move away from potential 5G or or in worst cases be destructive around 5G and so you're you're seeing that uh, I also saw that there looked like there was obviously a lot of people targeting COVID-related information for hacks and for fraud. Mm. And so the, the, I think that will be an, uh, an ongoing battle for all of the platforms over the next year, is battling people who are who are trying to um, gain access to personal and private mm. information using right. a health scare or COVID. Right, right. An outbreak scare. So, uh, and then at the same time, you see Facebook and Google both working, working together and working on on their own to drive more information from their users and from the platform into the uh, into the marketplace. So there is this interesting dy- that dynamic that's taking place right now, where those platforms are trying to highlight the value of having all of this information on individuals, uh, Facebook even calls their part of the, the organization that focuses on that data for good. And Zuckerberg had a, as
1: as opposed to the rest of the organization that's that right, it, data not it for, lead, it, for other purposes. Yeah.
0: It leads you to uh, presume <laughs> that the rest of the information is data for, for, data evil for purposes. Evil,
1: right. Yeah. I want to check out the Data for Evil website. Yeah.
0: yeah. Zuckerberg had an op-ed in the uh, Washington Post on Monday, and he talked a little bit about how they were using this data for good and able to then essentially provide high-frequency data on potential outbreaks of coronavirus, doing county-by-county data. Uh, They're working with some professors at Carnegie Mellon and some researchers at Carnegie Mellon, getting almost 100 or 1 million responses a week in the U S. So they um, are doing a lot of work there. It it will be interesting because I think right now they're, they're getting a lot of latitude to run with these type of, of projects. But um, we'll see if that appetite remains. Obviously the, the tides had turned prior to the pandemic where, there was a a real push to uh, limit how much information they could have and use and how it would be used. And that's obviously was a, a big story for 2019. We've relaxed a lot of those parameters this year. It'll be interesting to see if, if those go back and get pushed back a little bit or, uh, or if this is the status quo for at least a short
1: time. And uh, of course in the mobile space, uh, we've heard some time, about uh, Apple and Google working together, speaking of uh, strange bedfellows, uh, to develop some kind of notification system uh, to let you know if you've been uh, exposed, perhaps, to someone who has uh, contracted uh, COVID-19 or has been diagnosed with it. I've actually been surprised given the Unfathomable scale that you know these two companies have uh, that there haven't hasn't been more details on exactly what they're trying to do with this effort uh, I imagine you know it's been somewhat fluid as they've looked at what's what's possible but apparently uh, you know Tim Cook uh, recently told a uh, some EU regulator that uh, the api the cross-platform iOS and Android API uh, should be available by the end of the month. Uh, So it will be uh, interesting to see uh, what gets built with that API. You know, are Apple and Google each going to build an app for their platform? Are they just going to allow it to developer, you know, open it up to developers and, and see the, the kinds of apps, you know, maybe, maybe some people want uh, to build map applications that keep them away from popular paths used by people who have been diagnosed with this. So um, I think it'll be interesting to see what what shape it takes. Uh, Although there was also a recent article about uh, how Probably not so much the case in the U.S., but, uh, you know, a lot of phones, uh, apparently this functionality will require a relatively new version of the Bluetooth spec that a a lot of older phones may not have. Mm. Uh, And so it's, um, you know, maybe limited in its effectiveness, uh, particularly in um, uh, a lot of developing economies. So where even smartphone penetration is limited, of course, including India
0: this This will be the next iteration of maps right it won't be, be. what's your traffic like, but it'll be uh you know here's right. your here's your route to avoid uh any anybody else any other human so right right this is the the route to
1: take I think it'll also be interesting because of course uh I think both app stores are providing much more scrutiny uh, back to the disinformation point sean on uh, what kinds of information people can publish, right? You know, they want to be very careful about, uh, misinformation spreading. Uh, and so any app that may take advantage of this API that doesn't come from the platform owners will likely uh, have to endure extra scrutiny before it's, it's approved and released.
0: Yeah and, and this is obviously part of the much bigger model of how do you restart the economy so you have you know what one philosophy is you do a tremendous amount of testing so that's right uh, what you do and then you do contact tracing so that you can then identify and 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 quickly isolate anyone who has potentially been exposed uh it's obviously in this case going to be all opt in and it will be interesting to see how widely they allow it to be available. Uh the fact that Apple is involved here really drives the uh the security and data privacy piece into that partnership. And so I think um just seeing their name tied to it makes you believe that it will be somewhat secure and and um So it'll be interesting to see how willing they are to actually share that widely as opposed to trying to control it themselves and and develop the app Mm. themselves.
1: Uh, So uh, while COVID-19 is certainly dominating the news, uh, it's not the only instance where companies uh, have been uh, working together. Uh, Late last year, I believe, the three biggest names in uh, smart home, technology, uh, Apple, Google, and Amazon announced that they were going to be working together on a new low-power Wi-Fi standard, and there was uh, an update on that this week, uh, that they are getting together with the Thread Group, uh, a, another effort that was has been focused on low-power uh, IoT technologies. I believe the initial companies involved in it were uh, Samsung, Samsung, Google uh, and, and Nest, uh, which may have been part of Google at that point, I'm not quite sure, uh, but but may have been treated as a separate company. In any case, uh, um, the things that stood out to me from, from their announcements this week were really uh, pitching this as something that will be as ubiquitous as USB, the connectivity port that is on everything and connects things, uh, to PCs and increasingly smartphones, uh, all over the world. Uh, and it's, it's something that you just kind of take for granted is, is going to be supported in a product if it supports any kind of connectivity. And, uh, that's what they're shooting here for, you know, uh, Apple has a standard called HomeKit. Google has a standard called Weave. And, uh, the company's made a point of saying that, you know, they've, done pretty well selling different kinds of connected devices, right? This is Amazon, which sells all the Alexa devices and, and uh, you know, Google, Google has aggressively courted third parties to support their standards, but they realize to get the standards to the next uh, level of penetration. They all need to work together and the real prize really seems to be new construction. So just like today, you wouldn't buy a house without an AC outlet. Uh, they feel like they're going to have trouble convincing builders to support this in new homes without a unified standard. Uh, And so that is what is driving them to work together to get to a place where, you know, you you move into a a home and uh, it's just ready for you to start taking advantage of regardless of whether you're an iPhone user or an Android user or, you know, you you would just rather interact with the world through an Alexa speaker. So, uh, so they're uh, they they've got you know pretty much a critical mass of um, very powerful companies on board, and uh, hopefully we will uh, you know see this take hold in the next year or so. Uh, and uh, all the companies involved uh, said that their current proprietary standards should migrate to the to this new standard. So uh, that's some good news, I guess, in terms of um, uh, functionality that we can all look forward to in the future, breaking down barriers. Uh, another good, um, some good news, good tech news, in terms of breaking down barriers, uh, the FCC today uh, announced support for greatly expanding the bandwidth available to Wi-Fi. Uh, so, if you are, if if you've ever experienced slow network traffic on Wi-Fi, uh, if you're one of the few, uh, you'll be happy to know that uh, this new approach, I think, adds more bandwidth than was available in in both of the existing bands, 2.4 and 5.8, put together. Uh, so, it will require new equipment to completely take uh, advantage of it, but it should have huge benefits. In settings such as, uh, you know, particularly large settings like stadiums, once we're uh, we're able to go out to those kinds of locations again.
0: Yeah, what's a what's a stadium? Ross? What what
1: is the stadium of which I speak? Yes.
0: Yeah. Well, and even just home use, I suppose. I mean, I guess sure, you, you're getting more devices uh in in a home and on absolutely on that network so and they
1: they mentioned it was the first expansion of the bandwidth that the government has offered in twenty years so wow we're we're due yeah
0: yeah wow that's so. amazing uh in other news we saw that apple is uh planning to start selling macs with its own chips by twenty twenty one it's working on three mac processors based on the uh a fourteen chip in the next iphone five nanometer uh a fourteen chip uh- pr- probably not too much of a surprise here, and this has long been uh, rumored and and talked about uh, that coming out in a report from uh, from bloomberg I-, I think there's also uh, a desire for companies to have greater control and visibility into their supply chains after the uh, the impact that coronavirus had. The-, the supply chains were already in flux as companies were moving some of their facilities or some of their their resources into different marketplaces because of the tariffs that were being imposed on on china goods and and vice versa the good the tariffs that were being imposed on us goods headed into china so there was some desire to move some of the productions around and then i think after the the outbreak of coronavirus there was some desire to bring things back onto the continent. If you can, if you can, Mm -hmm. for which you are trying to serve. And so, uh, you know, it would be interesting to see how this plays out. But my sense is that, uh, you'll, you'll see, uh, I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see Apple manufacturing that in the U S or at least in North America Mm -hmm. and then exporting that to Asia for, uh, for production.
1: Yeah, this is uh, been a very, very slow burn, you know, in terms of uh, this developing story. It's, it's really been fascinating to watch uh, over the past few years, as you have seen uh, Apple first start developing its own chips for iPhones, starting to see them get increasingly aggressive about the argument that the chips, their chips in the iPad, were faster than those on most PCs, right? That's the the writing on the wall uh, for sure. Uh, you know, uh, they have just been making tremendous progress in in the processor field. Uh, Intel, of course, their supplier in uh, on the Mac, is um, uh, is a, is a, uses ten nanometer technology. Uh, Qualcomm, I think today is at seven nanometer. And uh, you know the idea that they're going to take the next leap to five uh, just shows how uh, how much they've been investing and how much progress they've been making. Uh, and it's not the first time that Apple would have uh, switched processor families; they've done it twice before, um, going from uh, the old Motorola chips to PowerPC to finally Intel, uh, and then uh, you know this would um, uh, bring them back. The big question is not necessarily really been when uh, but how how would they go about this transition? because a lot of Macs are used in professional uh, environments, and you know you're just not going to be able to uh, snap your fingers and have high end uh, video editing software run as well on uh, on their chips as they do on on Intel chips today. So that's going to, you know, take some more. We, we've also seen Microsoft go this route, right? Uh, Microsoft and Qualcomm working on transitioning PCs to uh, uh, ARM processors, uh, very, very competitive processors. And so uh, that has been the proof of concept that, yes, this can work. And so uh, the report, the latest report mentions that it will start with uh lower end products more mobile products which again makes complete sense because that's where you get some of the great benefits like better battery life uh so um you know the latest reports now say 2021 we'll have to see what happens but uh at this point it uh certainly seems a fate accompli
0: yeah uh, and then just in one last bit of news, we saw that uh, Google, after requiring politicians to disclose their identity with respect mm-hmm. to advertisements, they're going to start to require all advertised buyers to disclose their identity. Um, and I think this has been a, a move in many ways that's been underway as well for for many months and, and uh, really even years, just the desire to have greater trans- transparency in those type of marketplaces where there's been so much disinformation and misinformation. And so this is a, a move to help provide some uh, some transparency and, and also hopefully secure those marketplaces a little better than perhaps were, were true in the past.
1: Yeah, and, and hopefully Google doing it puts uh, more pressure on uh, Facebook uh, to do it because even though Google has tremendous uh, share of advertising, it seems that for whatever reason, uh, the advertising on Facebook just seems to have far more impact in terms of swaying people or or uh, calling them to action, uh, particularly when it comes to things like political causes
0: yeah well it'd be interesting to see if that how you know how that fits in with facebook's bigger model and and push towards smaller more intimate group settings as opposed Mm -hmm. to you know kind of capturing everything in a in a feed but driving into some of these more more niche group settings and uh so we'll, we'll see how that will will play out
1: well, I'm hoping you'll join my data for evil group. It's, uh, <laughs> it's really picking up some good momentum or some bad momentum, I should say.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that's probably a great place to stop. Uh, I'm Sean Dubravac from Avrio Institute.
1: And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin.
0: Thanks for joining this episode of Techspansive and we'll see you next week.